the families of Richard and Mildred were friends. And Richard was often at Mildred's home. He would go over there to hear her older siblings play music and sing together. Mildred initially thought that Richard was sort of arrogant and there wasn't much of a friendship there, but over the years, a friendship did grow. And then later on, a romantic relationship blossomed. Not long after that, Richard and Mildred were married. Five weeks after their marriage, at two o'clock in the morning, a sheriff named R. Garnet Brooks burst into their home and then into their bedroom based on an anonymous tip, and he woke the sleeping couple. And he asked Richard, what are you doing in bed with this woman? And Mildred responded, I'm his wife. And both of them pointed to the marriage certificate up on the wall. But the sheriff roused them out of bed and arrested them. The reason, Richard came from English and Irish roots and was racialized as white. Mildred had African-American and Native American roots and was racialized as black. As early as 1662, 1662, as the racial categories of white and black were being created, Virginia, where Richard and Mildred lived, had laws on their books banning interracial marriage. In 1924, Virginia actually criminalized interracial marriage, passing what was called the Racial Integrity Act. This is why Richard and Mildred Loving had gone, had traveled to Washington, D.C., leaving their home in Virginia. They traveled to D.C. to be married and then returned to Virginia. Mildred and Richard were both sentenced to one year in prison, and under a plea bargain agreement, the sentence was suspended, provided that they leave Virginia and not return for 25 years. In response to this case and this couple being exiled from their home state, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, when any society says that I cannot marry a certain person, that society has cut off a segment of my freedom. The mythology, the mythology is that this is the land of the free, home of the brave, all are equal under the law, but this is not, nor has it ever been, the lived reality of so many. Eventually, this case was taken up by the Civil Liberties Union in the subsequent years. And as the legal team prepared for this case, talking with Mildred and Richard, explaining the different ways they might come at it and the various legal theories that applied to it, Richard simply replied to them saying, tell the court I love my wife and it's not fair that I can't live with her in Virginia. Finally, in 1967, the U.S. Supreme Court in Loving versus Virginia struck down the law which banned interracial marriage, this prohibition on interracial marriage, and then that fell in Virginia and in other states where it was still on the books. The Lovings returned to Virginia then as a legal married couple. What I want to say to you this morning, friends, on this Dr. Martin Luther King weekend is that love doesn't want to be invisible. Love doesn't want to be legislated or declared illegal. Love wants to grow, to expand, to connect, to create more love. It was this case, Loving versus Virginia, that inspired Minneapolis artist Leslie Barlow. She's with us this morning, and there's a uh, reception after the service. You can meet her and see some of her artwork. It inspired these pieces and other pieces you'll see in our social hall, these pieces created to commemorate the 50th anniversary of this case. 
And in her words, creating these pieces of art reveals the tension that exists between these images and contemporary culture's perception of what a real or regular family looks like. She explains, this series was initially inspired by the 2013 General Mills Cheerios commercial. You guys remember this commercial? It was an interracial family with their mixed race daughter, just basically a, a normal family uh, talking about health and heart health, but there was this kind of big racist backlash and it was deemed controversial. Leslie Barlow continues, this lack of representation, the invisibility of interracial and diverse family dynamics has impacted the way American people perceive what is normal, the way they perceive family normalcy. Despite the outcome of the Loving case, the horrendous results of the 2016 presidential election and the persistence of racial and social divides in our country remind us that we have so much further to go. Ultimately, says Leslie Barlow, this work, these portraits, they communicate a new story. They underscore the right to know a love that has no barriers. Love does not want a barrier. Love does not want to be invisible. Love does not want to be merit-based or available only to certain people. Love wants the freedom to grow, to connect, to expand, to create more love. This vision of love, this fierce vision of unstoppable love guided Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and it called out of him a powerful moral and religious imagination. On the steps of the Lincoln Memorial 55 years ago, he said this, and I'm gonna quote him at length here. He said, in a sense, we have come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, all people, would be guaranteed the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of hap happiness. And it is obvious today, said Dr. King, that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring the sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse, said Dr. King, we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. So we have come to cash this check. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. Now is the time to open the doors of opportunity to all God's children. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood, of sisterhood, of humanhood. Then, like now, as author and activist Adrian Marie Brown says, we are in an imagination battle. We are in an imagination battle. It is a fierce battle. Dr. King was dreaming of, he was imagining something that didn't yet exist and he labored with thousands of other people to help bring something new into being. Voting rights, civil rights, human rights, the dismantling of white supremacy culture. 
We are in an imagination battle, writes Adrian Marie Brown. Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown and Renisha McBride and Philando Castile and so many others are dead because in some white imagination, they were dangerous. And that imagination is so respected that those who kill based on an imagined racialized fear of black people are rarely held accountable. Adrienne Marie continues, imagination turns brown bombers into terrorists and white bombers, and I would add white gunmen, into mentally ill victims. Imagination gives us borders, gives us superiority, a racial hierarchy, gives us race as an indicator of capability, of worthiness, of love. I often feel I am trapped inside someone else's imagination, says Adrian Marie Brown, and I must engage my own imagination in order to break free. The human spirit does not want to be trapped in someone else's imagination. Love does not want to be constrained or restrained. In fact, love imagines a new world. Richard and Mildred, Mildred Loving imagined a country where their marriage and love was legal. Leslie Barlow imagined and created artwork that reflects the beautiful multiracial community and reality that is around us. Dr. King imagined a country that was yet to be. As a community over four years ago, as we started our own racial justice learning, we imagined going on this journey and becoming, we're not there yet, we have so much work to do, but becoming a multicultural, multiracial institution committed to this radically inclusive faith, having those values alive in our worship, in our life together. As a community, nearly a year ago, we imagined and then publicly declared ourselves as a sanctuary congregation, a faith community willing to protect and house those at risk of deportation, which now, it seems, includes even the dreamers, those who came into this country as very young children. We are in an imagination battle right now. Some in our country and in our community imagine immigrants and people of color as less than, as dangerous, as a blight somehow on this country. And others imagine immigrants and people of color as part of the fabric of our community, siblings with us on this small planet sharing gifts and stories that might help us all. Make no mistake, from the founding of this country, we have been engaged in an imagination battle about who this country is for and what freedom means. And I believe, I believe now in this work I've done with Susan and the work we're doing as a congregation more than ever, I believe that it is only with love and curiosity and wonder at the very center of our lives, that and deep imagining taking love and wonder and curiosity in our own deep imagining that we have any chance of giving birth to something new. It is only as we listen deeply to where love is calling us in circles, in worship, in conversations with one another that we have any chance to imagine and practice the change that we want to be and we want to see in this world. Again, listen to these words from Adrian Marie Brown. If love were the central practice of a new generation of organizers and spiritual leaders, it would have a massive impact. We would see that there's no such thing as a blank canvas, an empty land or a new idea, but everywhere there is complex, ancient, fertile ground full of potential. 
We would organize with the perspective that there is wisdom and experience and amazing stories in the communities we love. And instead of starting up new organizations and new ideas all the time, we would want to listen and support and collaborate and merge and grow through fusion, not competition. Love wants to listen. Love wants to collaborate and expand. Love wants us to know our place in the order of things and to love ourselves and our bodies as we are. We cultivate and experience this love in community, in worship, in circles, through spiritual practice, through concrete actions that bend the universe toward justice, like supporting the People's Movement Center. Right now, friends, we are in an imagination battle. And love imagines a new world. Love practices the creation of that new world. Love doesn't want to be invisible or illegal. Love refuses to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. Love comes to cash the check of justice. Love, made real in you, made real in me, made real in us, comes to cash the check of justice. Amen.